You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today, the business at hand is the business of architecture. And everyone knows that architecture is an important aspect of the built environment and that sustainable urban environments are really an important topic um, in general. But to me personally, I think that well-designed communities with well-designed structures are very simply more livable and sustainable over time. And so today we'll be talking about this highly competitive field and how it's really no easy task to succeed in that environment when clients demand highly functional, attractive, sustainable uh, working environments, learning environments, play environments. But some firms achieve that balance better than others. Uh, one such firm, Praxis 3, uh, based here in Atlanta, has a portfolio of design and structures that embody that balance. My guest today, David Hamilton, is a principal with Praxis 3 and is an architect who is committed to this balance of form and function and who also believes in the preservation of structures that are worth preserving and that might otherwise be torn down. And so I'm pleased to have David Hamilton on the program to talk about architecture. Welcome to the Business Hour, David. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, I think we might start with the very name of the firm in this case, Praxis 3. Uh, it's because it's a meaningful aspect. Um, uh, it, it seemed to me to be uh, an ideal uh, name for an architectural firm. Um, was this a, a choice that uh, uh, you and your uh, fellow principals um, uh, discussed? Uh, was it the uh, the original founders, Craig James and Stuart Rom, that uh, came up with that name? How did that name develop? Yeah, it was uh, it was actually developed before I got there a few years by uh, Craig and Stuart, and uh, it literally means praxis. And the idea was to bring theory and uh, kind of high uh, design ambition to everyday work. Uh, and it's actually, as a business model, it's worked exceptionally well for us. Uh, we don't take anything as a, as, a, as a project or a project type, building type, that does not deserve a high level of attention and a high level of design um, expertise. So that's, that's really what it is. The three I'm not so sure about. I think maybe... Uh, Praxis one and two already taken on the internet or something. I don't know, <laughs> but but we did have three partners for a while. So oh, that, <laughs> now, that, now we have more. <laughs> that's a possibility. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I do know that I was uh, looking up the term, and uh, you know, the, the the it goes back to uh, the Greeks, and uh, it 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 was that term that factored in uh, the theoretical, but put emphasis on the applied theory and, exactly. and the actual and that's exactly practice the reason that we're called that. Yeah. yeah. And also, you have the uh, the tagline "architecture plus multidisciplinary design," right? And uh, we'll be getting into that as we we we, we talk this morning, uh, because uh, one ongoing uh, sub theme to our discussion will be the multiple disciplines that 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 come into play. Um, be, before talking about uh, the, the firm's approach to architecture, um, we can talk about the discipline in general. And uh, one um, 
aspect of architectural design and the building of structures uh, that always uh, seemed uh, to be the case to me uh, is that well-designed buildings are a lot like sculpture. Uh, they're they're like art. Not not all buildings right. get to be artistic, but uh, um, highly functional structures that have aesthetic elements uh, um, to me sure. are the height of the discipline. Do you, how do you feel about sure, that? Of course, and you know, uh, and and we and again, it's part of our our kind of core mission to bring a level of design and ambition to, to everything in the environment that we do, um, in particular, but. Um, yeah, I mean, a building to be successful has to be efficient. It has to be functional, but it also has to inspire people. It has to be a good place to be. Uh, if it doesn't do all of those things, it's not a successful building or not as, as successful as it could be. And, you know, this isn't always the case, but quite often a building which has a certain degree of um, a- aesthetics to the structure doesn't necessarily have to cost more. I mean, I, I don't know how you no, feel about no. that. And we, we, you know, we have never had the, or very rarely had the privilege of having uh, very, very high budgets. You know, we don't, we don't do thousand dollar square foot buildings or five hundred dollar square foot buildings, which a lot of our museums might cost. Uh, but we try to to do the best we can with the budget we have, and I think uh, I think it's surprising to to people and even to clients how much you can do by being creative and not and using uh, inexpensive materials or methods uh, in creative ways. Well, in fact, uh, for listeners out there that might want to get a peek at uh, some of the Praxis 3 uh, portfolio of, of buildings, uh, they can go to www.praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S 3, the numeral, dot com. And you'll be able to follow along as we make some reference to some of the structures. Uh, it, it's a it's an interesting range of structures that uh, goes from uh, automotive uh, retail space, uh, you know, dealerships and such, and 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 some really quite beautiful dealerships, I might add. Yeah. Um, uh, I I I um, I failed to notice uh, in my review of those. Um, portfolio profiles whether uh, awards have been won but i would assume that some of those are are, are award-winning uh, yeah, designs yeah for sure uh, and, and uh and then at the other end of the spectrum there are uh, the educational institution and the institutional community in general that you've designed some 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 beautiful buildings for um we'll get into some of those actually uh, as the program unfolds um but we talked about architecture being a, a multidisciplinary um, discipline, uh, and that there's a um, a collaborative approach these days. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, how uh, I, I'm a client. We'll set up a hypothetical, <laughs> and I want a, uh, a an office building. Um, and I, I I want it to be energy efficient, and I want it to have a certain aesthetic, um, but I don't know much about um, where to go from there. 
How do you begin that process of 20 questions sure, uh, or sure. what could actually be 200 yeah. Yeah. or and, more and, questions? And, you know, I think it's the, the most important thing an architect can do, especially in the early stages, is listen to the client, is bring his or her expertise to the, the vision of the client. Um, and um, it takes more than just a good architect or a good contractor to make a good or great building. It takes a great client, too. Uh, so that that collaboration and that uh, uh, spirit of maybe even adventure, because uh, it's it's a lot of fun, especially in the early stages, um, is very important to making a good building. But you'd, you'd probably start out, you know, with where the building is located, uh, where the site is, how it's oriented, and then the you know to the client's vision for what it should be, uh, the you know the certain the basic kind of program elements, but how should it inspire people? How should it uh, affect the way people uh, work and live, um, and what what does the client think about all that? Of course, I would imagine that, uh, as in the case of lots of projects for uh, many different uh, industry segments, having a budget in mind early on is well, probably sure. enormously helpful. Yeah, but of course. Does that, but but oftentimes <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that. There could be it could be bracketed. They could say, "Well, we know it's going to cost more than uh, five hundred thousand dollars, but we don't know whether it's going to cost yeah uh, a lot uh, of times uh, fifty million dollars." Yeah, I mean, there's usually an idea, and we, and we we would probably push a client for that. You know, how much? What do you want to spend on this building? That is one of the initial questions. Um, but given that, we try to do all of the other things within that budget. I mean, that's the game. That's the goal. Um, if we can't do that, we really haven't succeeded for the client, and we may or may not even get a building built. So that's kind of the bottom line is the bottom line. Well, part of that that um, that process would be for a client who doesn't have in mind, it um, doesn't have a budget in mind, is for you to educate them as the, as they're beginning right. to tell you that right. they they envision a three story structure sure. that might be big enough for. And you're already forming uh, an idea of right. uh, what budget category it's yeah. going to be in, and and, and a, yeah, exactly. And, and according to how much experience they've had, I mean, a, a seasoned developer will know exactly what they want to spend. It's probably less than the architect thinks they should, uh, but um, um, but someone who hasn't built before, I in a kind of previous life, I was a single practitioner for a couple of years and worked with a lot of residential clients, and they really for the most part, don't have any idea. And it's a matter of setting expectations then, you know, saying, you know, this is what you can spend. Your attic addition is going to cost $50,000, not the 10000 that you thought it would. Can you still do it? Um, and what can you do for, for $10,000? Uh, so it's, it's always just an exploration of, of what's possible. And that process, I would imagine, uh, is similar to the process with a, uh, a commercial client, sure. uh, only uh, budgets are... They usually have a little better idea to begin with, for the most part, yeah. Um, the, the notion of multiple disciplines uh, is something that uh, I know that people understand that you have architects who are involved in design, that you have engineers that... That's, help to specify a design in such a manner that a construction company can actually um, uh, take a, a, a drawing uh, 
two actual uh, nuts and bolts. Um, tell me about that process of collaboration, and uh, sure. do you have people on the firm that would be uh, skewed a little more toward the engineering side and architects who are maybe uh, skewed a little more toward the design with, with both parties having knowledge of architects with knowledge of engineering and engineers yeah. uh, with with architecture. And then, of course, uh, construction management uh, knowledge base yeah, as well. And, and architecture is, uh, contrary to probably some popular belief, uh, is very much a team sport. Uh, a team in, on the design side, a team on the construction side, a team on everything from uh, – financing to uh, managing the building afterward. Um, you know, we work closely with our engineers uh, as far as uh, how we work internally. Uh, there are some people that everyone everyone takes a part in the design. We're, we're very uh, sort of proud of that. But some people are naturally more budget-oriented, more technically-oriented, uh, and everybody brings uh, what they bring to a project. And ideally, a project team uh, the the principal or the designer will kind of set the goals and the direction, the kind of vector of the project, and then everybody will bring their particular expertise to it, including internal team members and and our engineers. Do you, as as I was um, uh, alluding to, have uh, team members that are more uh, of an engineer, we'll say, and are the folks that work with the the construction company uh, sort of on the implementation side of of the design, uh, even though the architect could be involved intimately in that uh, uh, construction process? Do you have folks that that would be considered uh, um, structural engineers or mechanical engineers, even, or, or is that a sort of a separate uh, outsourced it's, it's, function? Uh, you know, uh, some firms do that internally. We don't. We hire consultants. But the consultants are very much part of the design team. One interesting uh, thing that we always kind of tout, especially in academic work, is we have a couple of cost consultants we work with, Palacio and Associates being one. And a lot of times cost consultants will say, well, here's a design, uh, and uh, how much does it cost? And we'll figure it out from there. But we actually go to the cost consultant and we say, here's what we're thinking about. There are three different options what do they cost, and how can we do that economically? And the three options have uh, have ramifications for the entire process. We'll we'll actually drill down into that just a bit as uh, sure. right after this uh, break that we're going to take. We're here with David Hamilton of the Praxis Three Architecture Firm. We'll be back with David right after this break. Forty-five years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation, Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with David Hamilton, a principal with Praxis 3, an architecture firm based here in Atlanta that attempts and I'd have to say very much succeeds uh, in creating architecture which is highly functional but at the same time aesthetic and sustainable and, and, and this is a task for for almost all architecture firms is to, to achieve that balance between uh, form and function um, efficiency in terms of energy but also sustainability in terms of of working for uh, people uh, in an ergonomic uh, sense, but also uh, a structure that, that will stand the test of time. And we were talking about the multiple disciplines that go into um, creating uh, a, a structure, and you mentioned that uh, that there is a term, uh, a, a firm rather, Palacio uh, Collaborative, that mm-hmm. you work with that helps you on, 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 on the cost uh, of, of, of projects, but also uh, are there engineering firms and construction uh, firms uh, for sure uh, that that make up the team? Oh, sure, of course. And uh, a lot of times there's a, a, you know, the old model used to be to, to sort of bid projects, have qualified contractors look at them and give you a price, but uh, we're really leaning more towards a, a CM a construction manager uh, who is brought on early, is selected early, and is a partner uh, during actually the design phase, not just construction. Uh, so we work back and forth with them during design. We work on pricing with them uh, with the cost consultant, uh, and, and everyone works together as a team. And, uh, you know, I think generally the perf- uh, the the construction industry has found that that's probably a, a better way to do things. It's not the only way we do things, but it's it's one way that seems very good. Now, the um, the Praxis Three firm uh, doesn't have uh, a a, uh, a narrow focus. Uh, you don't do just residential. You don't uh, do um, uh, just automotive retail um, structures. You don't do just uh, institutional structures or educational uh, uh, buildings, um, you actually cover a, a, a broad range. Uh, is that by design? That is, is very much by design. Uh, there's a, a certain kind of uh, direction tendency in the industry to, for architects to specialize, to do one thing, be a medical architect or a retail architect. Uh, we have very intentionally uh, resisted that. Uh, we find that it's good on a couple levels and important on a couple levels. Uh, number one, the principals and the, and the folks at Praxis uh, don't want to do just one thing. Uh, we consider ourselves to be uh, architects who think of, about a lot of different things and, and think about the world in pretty broad ways. Um, and also importantly, from a business perspective, uh, 
when one sector is not doing well, when one sector is in recession, uh, the other sectors uh, tend to be in different places. Back during the Depression, I'll call it that, the terrible recession we had when so many architects were out of work, uh, we were fortunate to start to develop an institutional academic practice uh, that made up for some of the slowness in in the retail market. Uh, So that did help, and it helped us survive. Some firms didn't. Um, And, you know, the other thing we do that's unique is a lot of firms that do a lot of different things, bigger firms and smaller firms have studios that do those things, um, we actually distribute different kinds of projects, uh, hopefully sort of equally between different different design teams. We want everybody to have a diversity of experience. Uh, and I also think it, it helps to pull you out of a, the rut you might get into if you do one thing all the time. You know, you, you, uh, you know a car dealership can benefit from something you learn from uh, an academic building, for instance, or something you learn uh, from... Um, housing. Uh, and right now we're actually looking at a couple projects that's interesting, very much hybrids. Uh, we're looking at a couple projects in California that are mixed-use buildings, uh, the typical kind of uh, uh, residential buildings, but they have a car dealership uh, at, the, at the retail space uh, underneath. So, it, I, I, You know, many listeners uh, are aware that uh, I am a advertising marketing guy and have been for, for a few decades. And I, uh, I see the analogy here of uh, an advertising marketing group that, that doesn't specialize in just print or, in right. the past, uh, broadcast or, uh, these days, the whole digital uh, environment. Right, right. And uh, I think that, 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 that working in, in multiple areas, multiple mediums, uh, sort of keeps you fresh. And, and you can exactly. borrow uh, exactly. from, from one area yeah. and, and, and apply it to another. Back to um, the uh, educational uh, institutions that Praxis 3 has worked with, uh, I'm assuming that one of the reasons that uh, during and just after the, uh, the, rece- the, the most recent major recession, um, which started around 2008, that uh, educational uh, budgets hopefully uh, or fortunately have been a little more stable. Uh, education, uh, schools grow. Yeah. Uh, state institutions, for example, are aware that you have to accommodate uh, that ongoing student population and the growing student population, so budgets may have been a little more stable. Is right. that right? Well, an interesting thing happens uh, during a recession, and especially one as severe as, as that one was, uh, people go back to school. So universities, colleges, technical colleges in particular, uh, went through a, a pretty good growth period then. And also, uh, just the things that pay for those tax revenue tends to go down a little more slowly than the economy itself. It lags by a year or two. So economically, uh, from a financial perspective, that was that, that's a very good thing. When, when the other markets are failing, and the housing market failed almost totally, um, the academic market was there. Now, we weren't the only people to realize that. There were a lot of people, project list on the Board of Regents, uh, RFQ, um, um, People that had answered the RFQs for for the Board of Regents in Georgia, for instance, went from ten firms to thirty firms. Uh, we were lucky enough to be we we think very good and competitive. We started getting jobs with 
not a ton of experience because they recognized the design quality of, the, of what we had done. So, but would this also even include some out-of-state firms that could bid on these projects as well? Yeah, yeah. The, the state tends to favor uh, in-state firms a little bit. Although we're doing a big project right now in a collaboration with a with a big out-of-state firm. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it's pretty unbelievable. Now we've gone back down to you know. 15 or 20 firms bid, bid, uh, bidding for everything now. So, Well, uh, th- th- this is another aspect of, uh, I-, I guess you'd call it how America does business. Uh, states, uh, especially a state educational uh, uh, institutional uh, group, um, would look favorably on firms within the state, uh, especially, and uh, most listeners out there, uh, the regular listeners in particular, know that we are an Atlanta-based uh, station and uh, that I like to draw upon uh, Metro Atlanta and the state of Georgia as a, a microcosm for business throughout the country um, so that in the case of Georgia, I will explain to listeners who may not be aware, um, there are some exceptionally good architecture firms. I, I, I don't sure. know if you'd agree with that, but within that 30, there are going to be some really, really good architectural firms, and so the competition is going to be uh, uh, really yeah. rigorous. And in the case of an uh, educational institution, and, and, and we can be somewhat specific because I know that Praxis 3 has done some work with uh, Georgia Tech, which has a school, a, a, a respected school of architecture. Right. So it can't be easy. Tell us a little bit about that process uh, to, to uh, be the designated architect uh, on one of the projects sure, on a campus sure. like that. I mean, I don't want to give away all our secrets. but No, uh, no, don't give away uh, anything <laughs> pro- proprietary no, for sure. kidding. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, it, it helps uh, when you're doing that, that kind of work. It helps to build relationships uh, like it does in any any business. Uh, you, whether you're in the academic world or in, in the private sector and the commercial sector, uh, doing a, a building a building, getting a building built and designed is a substantial investment. Uh, it's a substantial investment not only in money but in time. You're likely going to be living with your architect and his consultants for a year or two or three. In the case of Georgia Tech, maybe five <laughs> on the big project we're doing now. Also, is it is it um, uh, the case that uh, a, a school like uh, Georgia Tech might have a design review board and that on oh, sure. that design they, review they board do. would yeah. be alumni who are uh, recognized architects? Yeah, and Georgia Tech is, is unique in that way and I think very good. Uh, they've really upped their game in terms of design and sustainability on their campus. Howard Wertheimer and others have done a wonderful job of transforming Georgia Tech's campus into a kind of a world-class place. If that's that's an overused term, but it really, truly is. Um, and, yes, Georgia, to that point, Georgia Tech does have some, some folks that are alumni, but just uh, – folks from around the country that are experts uh, that are recognized as understanding design and campuses who form a committee that actually uh, is the is the selection committee and they review uh, the design as it develops uh, during certain phases so they are they're very important to what's been happening at tech and it's unique I think in the in the Georgia system well at the risk of sounding a little bit like an infomercial um, I have to uh, <laughs> acknowledge that when you are selected and, uh, more importantly, when you succeed at helping a school like Georgia Tech uh, and others uh, 
create uh, a well-designed or a well-retrofitted, you know, a, a sure. revitalized, refurbished uh, structure uh, that, that puts uh, Praxis Three in a, a, a category. You might not like this term, but I'll use it anyway. Uh, of being an architect's architect, uh, of, of, of you know, you're coming under, I think, a little more scrutiny on a project like that than maybe working with a private uh, company, a private uh, uh, yeah. owner. It's a public process and it's a public building. So to that extent, I don't know. Uh, thank you for that compliment. But I don't know if architects, architects. There are a lot of good architects. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely, and that's interesting, you're absolutely right about that, um, uh, especially on a campus, for instance, with an architecture school because the entire architecture department is sort of looking over your shoulder. Uh, my partner, Stuart Rahm, is a professor at Georgia Tech in the architecture department, and I certainly know uh, he feels that maybe just a little bit more pressure when we do a building on campus because all of his colleagues are there sort of critiquing. <laughs> well, and, and not only that, but there would be other architects uh, from the Georgia Tech School of Architecture who are instructors um, with competing firms uh, oh, for, exactly, those, yeah. for those projects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to take a break. We're here with David Hamilton, uh, a principal with the Praxis 3 architecture firm. We'll be back with David right after this break. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with David Hamilton, a principal with Praxis 3, an architecture firm based here in Atlanta. And before the break, we were talking about some of the work that Praxis 3 does uh, in the institutional community, specifically the educational institutional community, which uh, I 
framed as 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 perhaps being more demanding simply because in the case of uh, most public institutions you, the review um, process may be somewhat more rigorous the selection process and the review of, of the project itself and if you add to that uh, a, a, an institution that has a school of architecture I would imagine there's intense scrutiny and I wonder if educational institutions uh, like Georgia Tech, but others as well, I know you've worked with other uh, uh, college and university campuses, uh, are demanding energy efficiency and overall sustainability more than ever. Yeah, that is uh, certainly the case. And, uh, you know, it's it's no mystery that uh, institutions are long-term users of buildings. So they're interested in how much buildings cost to operate over the long term. Uh, they're interested in being a public example of how to be efficient, uh, how to be uh, sustainable, and, and how to be good citizens. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a very big deal. Uh, whether or not they, you know, the state of Georgia has something called the Georgia Peach Program, which is an energy efficiency program. Uh, there's LEED, which private institutions do, uh, sometimes public, but in the state of Georgia there's some certain uh, politics that have to do with the uh, state forestry that have prohibited LEED. Hopefully that will that will be resolved at some point. Uh, but, yeah, overall the, the institutions are, 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 are kind of – our number one client in terms of being interested in sustainability. We're actually collaborating on the Georgia Tech uh, library renovations with uh, BNIM, a uh, Kansas City firm that won the AIA gold medal. Uh, they've kind of founded their their firm based on sustainability. They Some of their principals helped to write the lead standards, et cetera. Uh, we've actually learned a lot from them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we incorporate kind of basic sustainability into everything we do, whether or not it's going for any kind of accreditation or not, uh, just as good practice. You and I, before uh, the program, had chatted briefly about um, the emphasis and now uh, somewhat of a, a de-emphasis in, in some circles uh, for LEED certified uh, buildings simply because um, much of what was established uh, uh, by the LEED program are being incorporated into um, building uh, standards. Um, it, it, am I not mistaken? Is, does LEED uh, stand for Leadership in Engineering and Efficiency Design or something close to uh, the, don't, I, don't the engineering part is, is right. Uh, leadership in engineering and uh, energy uh, energy uh, design, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so for listeners who aren't familiar, over the last uh, decade or two, um, there is a, uh, a metric that is applied to the – the sustainability, but very specifically the energy efficiency uh, of, a, of, a, of a structure. And uh, I'm wondering if that is yet another one of those uh, requirements or uh, uh, requests on the part of an institutional uh, structure is that they it, it, it have some lead certification uh, qualities. And, and explain a little bit about how, uh, in some cases, um, being a gold versus silver uh, sure, sure. category is a budget. A t- a yeah. budgetary uh, concern. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the when lead, the LEED program started, and LEED is simply an independent third-party certification program. 
it's so that there can be sort of standards of energy uh, efficiency and sustainability that are verifiable because anybody can say that where our building is very efficient it will save you this much money etc by having a third party um, verify that then you know that that's true and you have to pay for yeah uh, and and, and, and part of the part of the problematics with lead lead is it it can be very expensive um, it's very thorough uh, in the way that it approaches things, which you have to hire extra consultants. It can be very expensive. Uh, some of the aspects of LEED, and they try to improve it, but it's it's probably a bit overly complicated. Um, and it uh, certainly tends to be a little bit inflexible. Now, with each new version of LEED, it, it's gotten better, I will say, and I still think it's a great program. Uh, what people in the industry generally think that in – uh, a few years anyway, that, that the sort of principles of LEED, uh, the requirements of LEED, will eventually be incorporated into the building code, uh, which is the base code that we work with that every building has to meet. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's starting to come true. We already need to meet the criteria of the basic the energy code, uh, which we did in, a number of years ago. So that's that's kind of slowly happening. Because buildings are complex uh, structures, it, it would seem that um, having a LEED certification is going to require uh, more time uh, for purposes of evaluation uh, than, uh, let's say, the underwriter's laboratory who's uh, reviewing anything from a toaster to an automobile. Right. Um, you know, um, and, and, and to some extent, maybe, and, you know, we'll and get to a point it's, where it's, it's like It's interesting that. you mentioned UL because uh, everything that we design, everything we specify uh, is tied to a, um, uh, a set of testing requirements. You know, if a building it has to be fireproof to a certain extent, well, the, the wall assembly, uh, the studs and the jet board and all of that are tested in a laboratory, a UL laboratory, actually, and they're different uh, mechanical equipment. It's ASHRAE, um, which is... Uh, I forget what it stands for, but it's the the mechanical engineers kind of uh, uh, testing and standards organization. Speaking of um, building uh, standards uh, in a state like Georgia, for example, and I know you you you, you design build uh, or or at least design uh, buildings further afield than than Georgia. But in a, uh, a state like Georgia, where we're not on the coast and we don't have a huge uh, fault line like the San Andreas fault line in, in California, do we still have um, hurricane uh, considerations and uh, earthquake considerations? We do. Uh, certainly not as extreme as California for earthquakes or Florida, for instance, or even the Georgia coast for hurricanes. But uh, um there are different zones, uh, climate zones, uh, earthquake zones that you designed too, and they require different kind of particularly structural uh, requirements. Um, and uh, Atlanta is uh, actually got a little more stringent earthquake requirement than you might think because of our proximity to Charleston, which had a major earthquake in the 1880s or 90s. Uh, there's a fault line there, which most people don't know about. Um, and hurricanes, you know, we get the remnants of hurricanes. Uh, some, I think a few years ago, there was one that was still a hurricane when it got here. So we do get high winds, um, but not like the coast. So does that mean that buildings are, uh, in some cases, stronger and yet more flexible? Would flexibility be a, a term that applies? I think you'd probably have to get a uh, uh, an engineer here to, to go into that in too much detail. But, yeah, you know, um, we work a lot in Florida, 
and Miami-Dade in particular has a whole separate set of hurricane requirements. Um, they actually have a, a certification, a projectile certification, where uh, if a, a, a piece of debris uh, going you know 150 miles an hour hits a building, it's not going to go through it. <laughs> Which we don't we don't have that here. Uh, so it's, it's it is a little different different so animal. So strength uh, plays a, a part. Um, it, which leads me to this other question about uh, modern building materials. Um, have you uh, sensed that there's a, a sort of a distinct uh, improvement in, in, the, in the evolution of, of building materials over the last few decades? Yeah, and, and, and methods as well. I will say architecture and, and the construction industry in general are a little slower to adapt um, certainly the design industry, like so many others, has been revolutionized by computers. Uh, a little less so. We still build things by hand for the most part. Um, there are some robotics um, experiments out there, uh, robots that lay brick, that kind of thing. But by and large, we build them like we used to. Now, the materials are much better. Uh, they're much more efficient. Uh, that comes in fits and starts. You know, uh, you have to be careful because sometimes a, the latest, greatest material, uh, when it's been in the field for a couple of years, uh, isn't so great. <laughs> so the buildings are such a huge investment, so expensive, that we tend to rely a little more on the tried and true. But, yes, there's definitely progress in materials, and particularly in systems, uh, HVAC systems. Those kind of things are much more efficient than they were even a few years ago. Um, speaking of HVAC, um, uh, to me it would seem that um, uh, understanding thermodynamics and, and, and ventilation, which are related but a little bit different, um, and which tie in with HVAC, HVAC systems, is that the kind of thing that uh, is, is being focused on uh, with uh, uh, students of architecture more than ever? Are, are they... Uh, having to understand um, how heat and cold um, function uh, within a structure and how you, you ventilate and how you gather solar energy and how you um, uh, protect against uh, right. the and heat I, of the sun as well? I think now more than ever, I think that those things are a fundamental kind of the fundamental foundation of, of how you think about buildings in an architectural education. I mean, uh, that hasn't always been the case, uh, and it probably probably should have been. Uh, but uh, I think that's uh, as energy costs increase, uh, sustainability uh, has a much more important uh, place in our society with things like global warming and other things. I think that uh, uh, that is becoming more and more just a given, that the building is oriented correctly, that the building has efficient systems, efficient walls, floors, ceilings. Um, you know, that's kind of job one. The, um, the range of design, going back to the range of design, I, I want to get into um, a little bit of a discussion on some of the structures that Praxis 3 has designed uh, that include some car dealerships. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, and again, listeners can go to www.praxis3.com and, and look at some of these really beautiful structures. Uh, uh, we've been talking about institutional structures, which have a certain aesthetic, but when it comes to something like an automobile dealership where they're marketing a product that that, that has to have a 
in some cases, high degree of sex appeal, right. they want the structure to have an almost uh, similar uh, degree of sex appeal. And you have designed uh, some Mercedes-Benz dealerships. Uh, I know there's one VW dealership that I want to talk about. And... Um, we're we're probably going to need to take a break here soon, rather than than have you go down that path. But uh, I I want you to, and we're handicapped uh, being able to to not show and tell, but rather describe sure. um, some of these structures. Uh, but they are beautiful, almost uh, museum like. And we'll take a break, and when we come back, um, we'll have David Hamilton, a principal with Praxis Three Architecture Firm. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of these really uh, not dead gorgeous uh, showrooms right after this break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with David Hamilton, a principal with Praxis 3 Architecture Firm, and we've been talking about uh, the range of product projects that Praxis 3 works on. And before the break, I had mentioned uh, the area uh, of automotive dealerships, which is a, a demanding, highly competitive uh, area. 
But before we get into talking about uh, that uh, area, which to me uh, falls in the category of also being having rather high sex appeal, I want to talk about something that, that, that may not have that degree of sex appeal, but is very, very, very important to a community and to the families that live in um, multifamily uh, structures that you help to design and also talk a little bit about uh, uh, mixed-use development, which is these days becoming recognized as critical to the, f- right. the overall urban fabric. So tell me a little bit about what Praxis 3 does in the area of multifamily design. Yeah, and uh, we we do do a fair amount of, of uh, mixed-use, uh, multifamily uh, mostly uh, urban projects, although we've done some suburban and affordable housing, which is very, very important to us. Um, we uh, work with developers. This is this is part of being diverse. Uh, the car dealerships are a certain kind of, and, and other retailers, a certain kind of work. Uh, the academic work is very different. Institutional work is very different. And then the developer work, the work we do, uh, mostly mixed use for developers, is, is a whole different animal, you know, kind of unto itself. Um, again, we work mostly uh, in the city. Uh, we think that we understand um, kind of what urban mixed use is. Uh, we understand all of the efficiencies and other things that you have to have. But we also understand that we're making places for people, places that will be appealing places to live, places that will hopefully make a better city and be good citizens. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's we're, do, we're currently working on, for Urban Realty Partners, uh, the George, which is a 130-unit uh, building with about 11,000 square feet of retail at the base in an urban Atlanta neighborhood, Grant Park. Um, I think it's going to be a beautiful building, uh, to your point, uh, and also um, I'll provide a, a, a very um, important uh, kind of piece of urbanism in a part of town that's developing pretty rapidly. There's another project um, uh, that uh, I, I don't know if you want to specify the name of the project or the location of the project, but I just took note of a project that uh, you know you pointed out to me and and it and it made an impression on me because it is a lower profile structure that is uh, has multiple units uh, surrounded by taller buildings, and, and right. to me that's got to be a breath of fresh air to um, be asked to design a structure. Um, that isn't a, a high rise, uh, a super high rise, um, and uh, it's got a, a retail component also at the bottom, and then right. some really neat, uh, what appear to be really neat units above. Yeah, it's uh, it's two hundred eight Twelfth Street. It's a it's a unique site. It's about half a block from Piedmont Park, so it's a wonderful site, uh, very competitive area of part of town. Uh, it's sort of one single family lot that is sort of sort of left over because there are literally four high-rises. There are high-rises on every side of it. Uh, We were approached by uh, a team of developers, uh, young guys. Uh, One of them is actually based in Hong Kong. One of them is based in Atlanta but is originally from Australia who had a very different perspective on what uh, uh, an apartment building should be in Atlanta, and it was very much a breath of fresh air. Uh, We designed what we think is a really dynamic 11-unit building that really takes advantage of its site. Um, They were, uh, being small business folks, they were actually interested in, in having a good coffee shop in the neighborhood, so they asked us to design a small coffee shop, which uh, 
coincidentally is, like I said, half a block from the park, and we think will be very successful. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's, I believe it's on our website, but it's uh, really a little more dynamic than, than, than some buildings. Uh, we were allowed a lot of flexibility um, in the aesthetic, and uh, I think it's going to be a beautiful building. Uh, we hope to be under construction very soon. Well, uh, if those any of those uh, folks um, uh, are, are listening in, uh, I want to give that uh, a client a, uh, a tip of the hat for allowing you to do something that I think is just a, a dynamite um, compliment uh, and 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 I'll say again, a breath of fresh air. Um, you, you don't have to constantly accommodate uh, uh, density uh, with over-densifying, and uh, right. I, I just thought it was right. a nice balance. Yeah, and the, the, the name of the company, by the way, is Elmhurst. Great guys. And uh, I will say we did, uh, the, the one of the principals being from Hong Kong, we did a single-family lot, essentially. We did look at doing a 20-story building there, but they did not think Atlanta was quite ready for that, so we fell back to what we think is a really interesting small apartment building, and a good prototype for infill sites in the city. Well, maybe not a 20-story building on that site. You'll hopefully do a 20-story <laughs> sure. building for them on another site. Um, now I want to turn to um, uh, some of the other structures that Praxis 3, and, and you made it a point uh, uh, to me that th- this is an area that you are not uh, intimately involved with, uh, that you have partners that focus on the automotive dealerships, but nevertheless it's an, uh, an, an aspect of, of uh, what Praxis 3 does. Uh, and uh, it has, uh, it includes some of the sexiest structures around, fortunately, um, uh, automotive dealerships uh, allow you to be somewhat creative because of the nature of that industry when you have uh, Audis and uh, BMWs and Mercedes-Benzes and the Volkswagens that are being sold and the cars themselves have an element of, of sex appeal. You know, high-tech, sleek uh, design is what I mean when I say sex appeal. Um, and just an aesthetic, the structures get to embody some of that and you've helped design some of those structures or at least Praxis 3 has and your colleagues. Right. Tell me a little bit about uh, uh, some of the Mercedes-Benz uh, dealerships sure, in, in sure. particular. First of all, uh, my partners, Craig James, uh, Ryan Stansel, Marks Alexander, are, are the ones who really head up the, the automotive division along with, with Stuart Rahm. Um, but, uh, and I don't have that big a part in it, but I do know about it. It's a major part of what we do, a substantial part of our business. Um, uh, some of the higher-end dealerships in particular give us a, a fair amount of design freedom. There are certain prototypical elements, but really redesign the buildings. And I will say some of the ones we've done lately, um, I remember going past uh, someone who was sketching and looking at the, the rendering and saying, it's, are we doing an art museum somewhere? Because it was an absolutely gorgeous building that had a very refined aesthetic. And it was a, I believe a Mercedes dealership, I think, in California, I think in Florida, actually. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, dealerships are interesting because they're really complex hybrids. They're really very high-end showrooms, especially for the, uh, well, for really all the brands, but especially for the luxury brands. Uh, they're uh, technical uh, um, industrial spaces, the shops, uh, and they're storage spaces for the parts and business spaces for the offices. So there are a lot of things in sort of one package. You mentioned um, museum-like, and um, uh, what that uh, includes are interior design spaces. For example, right. you you know, a Praxis Three 
like uh, a number of architecture firms, are are interior designers as well. And these days, there are elements of multimedia that are incorporated in some of these designs. And uh, uh, so some of these uh, showrooms uh, really are uh, uh, multimedia-oriented forums highlighting the automobiles. And we do have have an interior design department that's a relatively – studio, rather – that's a relatively new thing, and they really specialize in branding. Uh, they help with everything we do, all all the different studios and, and building types, but they uh, are especially important to our uh, retail automotive work. Uh, there are some dealerships that you, you will see that are basically are museums uh, kind of devoted to the history of the brand um, and, and other aspects of selling. Uh, and they are very important. The, the, the way architecture has become, especially retail architecture, has become integrated with branding is important and it's something that we're very aware of and that we a service that we offer. I know that in my travels uh, through Europe, I had seen a couple of showrooms uh, one, uh, in Berlin, in particular, and in Paris, where the uh, automobile manufacturer was displaying concept cars and also had museum uh, sections with a retrospective on some of their older designs. And I wondered when uh, that approach might take place here. And your firm is helping to uh, set that uh, standard for uh, museum-like settings that are are really not that gorgeous. There's a a VW uh, showroom out uh, in Gwinnett County here uh, in Metro Atlanta. Well, we've reached that point where we're going to have to have you come back for uh, parts two and three, but I want to thank you very much, uh, David, for being my guest today on the Business Hour. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Business Hour. My guest today, David Hamilton, is a principal with Praxis 3 based here in Atlanta. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the Internet and radio next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.